there is a very important phrase that is used over 40 times in the New Testament. Jesus used this phrase. And multiple New Testament authors also used this phrase. Paul used it. Peter used it. John used it. Mark used it. And James used it. And every time they used this specific phrase, it was used to describe the relationship that Jesus' followers were to have with one another. Forty times in the New Testament, we read a statement that includes the phrase, one another, to paint a picture for us of how God's people are to relate, how we are to be in relationship. Earlier this year, our pastoral team went away on a retreat to another state, and we were in kind of a large living area, and we printed off all 40 statements in the New Testament that use the phrase, one another. And we kind of spread the pages out among the room, and we just said, what do these phrases actually mean? And we went verse by verse through all 40 listings of the one another's and really began to study and wrestle with and ask hard questions about what those statements actually mean in the New Testament. And we came across statements like this, be at peace with one another. Give preference to one another in honor. Through love, serve one another. Be kind to one another. Build one another up. Do not complain against one another. Clothe yourself in humility towards one another. And on and on and on. We begin to read these powerful one another statements from the New Testament. And then we begin to ask some questions. Here's one of the questions we were wrestling with. What does it mean to be a part of a church? Another question we wrestled with was, what's my responsibility as a member of a church? Another question we wrestled with was, how do I personally contribute to the overall health of Hope Church? And the study of those statements, combined with some of those tough questions, birthed in us a desire to do a teaching series that's going to carry us for the next six weeks called, I Belong. And here's how this series fits in in the overall life of a disciple. At Hope, we believe that following Jesus is all about relationships. Amen? It's all about relationships. When Jesus was on the earth, his life was consumed with three relationships. His love relationship with God the Father. His relationship with his disciples. And his relationship with the world who did not follow Jesus. And at Hope, we've really framed these three relationships with three words. Abide, 
connect, share. The word abide describes an intimate love relationship that you and I are to have with God that is personal and daily. The word connect describes the relationship that we have with one another as believers that is to be fleshed out in the context of large group, which is this environment, and small group, which takes place in homes. And the third word is the word share, meaning we are to share in the mission of Christ both locally and globally. And over the next six weeks, we're going to press our finger in on this relationship that we call connect. And what's going to be powerful for us over the next six weeks is to see the interdependence of abide, connect, and share. And here's what I mean by that. Everything that we're going to talk about over the next six weeks flows out of an abiding relationship with God. And everything we're going to talk about over the next six weeks establishes a platform from which we can share in the mission of Christ. Look at this statement that I wrote in my notes. My love relationship with God is designed to be lived out in community with others. And biblical community with others creates a platform for living on mission in the world. You see, this relationship that you and I have as God's people, as Jesus followers, is extremely, extremely significant. So as we begin this series, I want to share just a real clarifying statement that I'm sure for some people will be a different perspective on maybe what you've been taught or what you've learned. But we believe it should shape everything that we talk about in this series. Listen to this statement. Church is not an event we attend. Church is a family to which we belong. Church is not an event that you and I show up to. Church is a family to which we belong. You could say it this way. In the context of church, belonging is better than attending. You see, our mission at Hope is not to get a bunch of religious people to attend an event. Our mission is to see transformed people belong to a family. And here's why. Because attenders consume. Contributors belong. Consumers attend, contributors belong. Let me tell you what I mean. I dare say there is no one in this room who shows up to Walmart or Town Square or to a restaurant and walks up to the management in that company and says, how can I specifically meet the needs of this company? <laughs> Nobody says that at Walmart, Town Square, or restaurants. Why? Because when we show up there, guess what we are? We're consumers. We're there to get our needs met. And because of that, we get really frustrated when the lines are too long at Walmart, when we can't find a parking space at Town Square, 
or when the waiter or waitress takes too long to bring the bread to our table. Am I right? Why is that? Because in those environments, we are there to get our needs met. And because of that, we don't feel obligated. We have no sense of responsibility. Because in those contexts, we are consumers. But it's different in the context of church. You see, if we're not careful, we can very easily begin to approach church as if we're showing up as consumers rather than contributors. Consumers attend, contributors belong. You see, it's easy for us to show up here and really have no sense of obligation or responsibility. And we show up to be served rather than to serve. But that's wrong. What takes place here every Sunday and what takes place in your small group every week should not be a gathering you show up to just to have your needs met where you feel no sense of obligation or responsibility. What happens here on Sunday morning, what you do in your small group every week is a dynamic, holy opportunity to experience community and fellowship with the people of God. But with that comes responsibility and obligation. If you have a Bible this morning, would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. And I want to read one verse of scripture that I really believe communicates the principle that we all need to understand as we kick off this brand new series this Sunday. The book of 1 John was written to believers. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know now, here's what's powerful to me about those verses. Of all the comparisons that the Bible could have used to describe our relationship with God, what comparison did it use? Father and child. Now, let me just say this. I know there are some people in the room, and maybe when you think about a father, you have a really bad taste in your mouth. But here's what I want you to know about God. He is not the reflection of a father. He is the perfection of a father. He is everything that a father is supposed to be to a child and so much more. The comparison in scripture that we see as it relates to our relationship with God is him being a father and us being his children. Meaning... That you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. Meaning, we're family. Another place in scripture that speaks to this. The gospel of John chapter 1. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. 
You see, before a church is anything else, we're a family. Your small group, it's a family. Hope Church, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're a family. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking the same thing I thought when I heard these principles. Pastor, there are some people in the room. Y'all don't even know what I'm going to say. There are some people in, in actually this room, uh, actually on my row, uh, that, that, that I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really care for very much. I don't like them very much. Listen, that's a dynamic of family. We all have a crazy uncle or a crazy cousin that maybe we don't like very much. But listen, nonetheless, they're family. Another thought that may be going through your mind is, Pastor, there are some dysfunctional relationships in my small group. That's a dynamic of family. Before a church is anything else, we're a family. When conflict arises, family resolves controversy. When sorrow comes, families cry together. When it's time to celebrate, families do what is necessary to be together and to celebrate. Listen to what the book of Ephesians says in chapter 2. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. Listen to this. You are members of God's family. So in light of all that, here's the biblical conclusion that is going to really shape this entire series for us. If you miss this statement, you're going to be really confused for the rest of this series. Here's the biblical conclusion out of those verses and so many others in the New Testament. Because I have a relationship with God, I now have a relationship with God's family. I want us to read that out loud this morning off the screen on three. One, two, three. Because I have a relationship with God, I now have a relationship with God's family. That's the statement as we leave today. I want to be on your heart and in your mind. Because that's the statement that is going to shape everything else we talk about for the next five weeks as we wrestle with the responsibilities that come with being a part of a family. You see, because we are children of God, we are now a part of God's family. I brought a picture today of my family. Uh, this is my wife, Shar. Uh, this is my daughter, Scarlett. I think we have a little bit bigger picture so you can see just how beautiful my family actually is. Ain't that awesome? And you know, as I think about a healthy family, you may have a picture like this maybe on your desk at work or in your home or on your phone or whatever. But as you think about some of the dynamics of healthy family, there are a lot of them. One of the dynamics is 
inexpressible love. You probably have that for your family. I mean, as I think about my wife, Shara, and my daughter, Scarlett, honestly, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. There's nothing. You name it, and it's done. There's inexpressible love when it comes to family. There's also responsibility in a family. In a healthy family dynamic, there is an understood responsibility, and everybody has to carry their weight. In my family, I'm so thankful that even though my daughter loves and is obsessed with eating food, my wife has taken on the responsibility of changing diapers every single time there's a need. I'm just kidding. There's responsibility. Another dynamic of family is that there's sacrifice. There's sacrifice in a healthy family. There are some things that my wife and I have chosen not to purchase or not to do or not to be a part of because we believe it benefits the overall health of our family. There's love, there's responsibility, there's sacrifice, and then let's just be honest, in a family, there's drama. There's drama. There are disagreements, there are mistakes, there are frustrations, but in a family, I'm willing to fight to get it right I'm willing to do whatever it takes so that out of that drama, my family can be restored back to a place of health. And just like those dynamics are true for the people right here in this picture in my life, the same dynamics are true as it relates to everyone else in this room and us being God's family. There's to be inexpressible love. There's responsibility their sacrifice we wouldn't be sitting here today on this campus if there wasn't some people who were a part of this faith family who didn't sacrifice to get us here but then let's be honest there's also drama those are healthy dynamics of a family and here's what we're praying over the next over the next weeks in this series we're praying that God would shift our perspective and our attitude from seeing the people around us as strangers to seeing them as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're praying that God would shift our perspective and attitude from seeing church as an event we attend to seeing church as a family to which we belong. Because the truth is, we are a family. Pastor Brian made this statement a couple weeks ago in one of our staff meetings. I thought it was powerful. He said, people who are family do not do community. They do not plan to be a family. They just are. And the thing we must get right as we begin this series is we must get our perspective of the church in the right place or we're going to misinterpret everything else we talk about throughout the rest of this series. On a weekly basis, I interact with people who have some serious misconceptions as it relates to God and his family. They've totally misunderstood, they've totally misinterpreted this idea that because we have a relationship with God, we now have a relationship with God's family. Here's one of the statements that I hear often. I can have a relationship with God and not associate with his family. There may be some people here today and that's, that's your mindset right now. 
that you can, you can love God, you can pursue God, you can have a relationship with God, but you cannot even associate with the family of God. Listen, here's the equivalent of that. That's like saying, Travis, I love you, but I hate your wife. That's what you're saying. For you to say you love me, yet you hate my family, that says you don't love me. That's as if we're saying, I want to take the head of the church, which is Christ, off and distance myself from his body. That's impossible. We have a relationship with God. And because we have a relationship with God, we also have a relationship with God's family. If you are a believer and you have come into a relationship with God, you also got me. That's just a part of the package. You cannot embrace a love relationship with God and not also have a relationship with his family. Another misconception that people will say, oh, well, let me read this verse from 1 John. I love this verse. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Another misconception that a lot of people think about and wrestle with. As long as I am studying the Bible, relationships with other believers are not necessary. A lot of people think that. A lot of people think as long as my doctrine, my biblical doctrine is intact and it's right, I don't really need to deal with relationships. Listen, correct biblical doctrine drives you to relationships, not from relationships. There is no instruction in the New Testament about a child of God that is disconnected from dynamic relationships within the family of God. You've heard us say it before. Your relationship with God is personal, but it was never intended to be private. And if you are operating under either one of those misconceptions, there are two questions I just want to clarify for you very quickly so that you can be on the same page as everybody else in the room. What is a relationship with God and what is a relationship with God's family? You see, a relationship with God is something that is given, not earned, when a person puts their faith in Jesus. You see, every person who has ever been born has had to deal with an issue called sin. It's our mistakes. It's our falling short of God's standard. And because we fall short of God's standard, we are disqualified from a relationship with God because of our sin. But God loved us enough to send his son Jesus to the earth. And Jesus lived a perfect life for 33 years and was the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus went to the cross as a substitute for us. And he paid the penalty, the punishment, the wrath for all of our sin. And he died. And three days later, God brought him back from the dead, overcoming death, hell, and the grave. And now Jesus stands ready to give us life that will last for eternity if we will put our faith in his finished work and in his life. And the Bible says for anyone who comes under the conviction of sin, meaning we recognize that the stuff we've done in our past is wrong and it falls short of God's standard and we will repent, meaning turn away from that sin and pursue a relationship with Jesus. We will surrender to him. The Bible says he will give us what we don't deserve, what we could never earn, that being a relationship with God. 
And because of this relationship that we can have with God, this new life that is given, not earned, we can also have a relationship with God's family. God's family is made up of those who have been redeemed by Jesus and born again into a relationship with God. It is a global family of redeemed people, and it always manifests itself in a local expression called the church. You see, the church is a global family with a local expression. Here's a, here's a definition, a working definition we've been using of what a church is. A church is a local community of baptized Jesus followers uniting together under biblical leadership to share in the mission of Christ. And listen, when the church is functioning the way God designed it to function, there's nothing like it on planet earth. There's nothing like the church being the church. It's the body of Christ. It's the bride of Jesus. And it's the hope of the world. And I just want to say this, and we're going to unpack this more in the weeks to come. But what can happen often is we lose our sensitivity that hope is not the only church in town that is preaching the Bible and engaged in the mission. Listen, there are a lot of churches in our city that are great churches. They're preaching the gospel. They're unpacking the scriptures. They're engaged in the mission. And we celebrate as hope the opportunity we have to lock arms with them to reach this city with the gospel. But I want to challenge you today just in a healthy way to be sensitive to the way you talk about other churches. Because when you talk about other churches, you may be sideways with a brother or sister or even with a pastor. But when you talk about the church, here's who you're talking about. You're talking about the bride of Jesus. And we interact with a lot of people who, you know, will come to us. And some people even say it about hope. Well, that church is, or that church is, or that church is. Listen, that church is the bride of Jesus. And we need to have a healthy respect and reverence for the bride of Jesus. Now, if there are relational issues between you and another church, then I would just encourage you to work those out. But as we talk about the church, as we talk about the family of God, we need to do so with a sensitivity that we're talking about the bride of Jesus. As we, as we close today, I want to share with you three keys about God and his family. And then we're going to be finished. Three keys that hopefully any misconception you may have about God and his family these principles will really kind of bring some biblical clarity to that. Here's the first key. My relationship with God's family depends upon my relationship with God. My relationship with God's family depends upon my relationship with God. And here's what that means. This will never be right if this is not right. My relationship with you as my brothers and sisters in Christ will never be what it's supposed to be until my love relationship with God is first in the right place. As I abide in him, he produces in me the ability to be in right relationship with you. Just like I can't love my wife as Christ loved the church, 
apart from abide, abiding relationship with Jesus. I can't be in right relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ unless I am first intimate in a love relationship with my heavenly father. Roy Hessian said it this way in his book, The Calvary Road. Now the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross was not only to bring men back into fellowship with God, but also into fellowship with their fellow men. Indeed, it cannot do one without the other. As the spokes get nearer to the center of the wheel, they get nearer to one another. But if we have not been brought into vital fellowship with our brother, it is proof that to that extent we have not been brought into vital fellowship with God. The first epistle of John insists on testing the depth and reality of man's fellowship with God by the depth and reality of his fellowship with his brethren. Everything that comes as a barrier between us and another, be it ever so small, comes as a barrier between us and God. If we allow new life to come to us, it will have to manifest itself by a walk of oneness with God and our brother with nothing in between. All the one another statements we're going to study throughout this series, they're impossible for us to live out. But Jesus can live them out. He can love, he can serve, he can care, and he lives inside of us and desires to press that fruit of the Spirit out from our life. My relationship with God's family depends upon my relationship with God. Here's a second key. My relationship with God's family deepens my relationship with God. Not only does it depend on my relationship with God, but it actually deepens my relationship with God. If you study the early church, here's what you'll discover. It was their relationship with God that brought them into fellowship with one another. And it was their fellowship with one another that actually deepened their relationship with God. Here's the point. There are things about God you will never learn apart from fellowship with other believers. There are things about God, there are aspects of his character in his life that you will never understand apart from fellowship with God's family. We need God's family because God uses other believers to teach us better who he is. Every relationship you and I have with a brother or sister in Christ can be used to deepen our love relationship with God. Here's what that means. As this is right, this will grow. As I pursue fellowship and community with you, it will deepen my own personal love relationship with God. Meaning, there are things God wants to do in my life that he can't do without you. Now, he set it up that way, but I can't go where I need to go in my relationship with God apart from experience community with God's family. Here's the third key this morning. My relationship with God's family demonstrates the gospel to a watching world. I believe that the gospel is most visible to the world when God's people live as family. Jesus said it this way. He said, when the world sees my people living as family, then they will know that you are really my disciples. 
It's a demonstration of the life-changing power of Jesus. I mean, think about our church. Think about this fellowship called Hope. We've got rich and poor, young and old, red, yellow, black and white. There's nothing that could bring that dynamic together apart from the gospel of Jesus. There is no other reason that this many people would be associated around one common theme unless it was for Jesus and his mission. That's beautiful. That's powerful. We've had numerous guest speakers come this year, and every one of them to a man has come and said, I love the dynamic of your church. I love that everybody is different. I love the diversity in your church. I believe it's an expression of heaven. What does that communicate to our city? That this group of people would unite together around Jesus and his mission. Our relationship with one another as a family demonstrates to the world the power of the gospel. I want to tell you a story, and then we're going to have a few moments to respond. You know, the opposite of being a part of a family is being an orphan. And I've got some friends that a couple weeks ago, a couple years ago, adopted uh, a young boy whose name was Judson. And uh, this week I went on uh, the wife's blog and I just pulled a couple of excerpts that she wrote about her son, Judson. Let's go ahead and put that picture of Judson up on the screen. This is what she wrote um, when they got to meet him. They had not adopted him yet, but this was one excerpt from her blog. She said, here is our precious son. He is going to officially be a part of our family. I'm not going to candy coat it. He's not a fan of us. He cried most of the time and was never really comfortable with us. He was able to fall asleep on me two times and actually woke up and stayed in my lap for about 20 minutes. I can't wait to go back to our embassy appointment and bring our boy home. Please pray that this happens sooner rather than later. Then she had another post when they actually went to get Judson and bring him home back to the United States. Here's what she said. Our moment was not dramatic except in the only way that matters. She said, he let us approach him, touch him, and talk to him for a few minutes with no tears. We felt such hope and joy. After that, he began to cry. And he was carried into the living room where the lead nanny spent a long time talking to him. Telling him we are his new mommy and daddy. That we love him and that she was going to give him candy. <laughs> he finally calmed down, interacted with us, and then he fell asleep. Judson was an orphan who was adopted into a family. But because the only thing he had ever known was being an orphan, he didn't know how to function as a part of a family. He had a new mom and dad who loved him. He had new siblings who wanted to get to know him. But because the only thing he knew was being an orphan, 
it was hard for him to make the transition into being a part of a family. Here's my challenge for you during this series. There may be some people in the room and you spent most of your life as a spiritual orphan. But now, God has brought you into a family. I want to challenge you to begin to pray. God, would you give me the grace to begin functioning as a member of your family the way that you've designed it to function? That's a big prayer. That's going to require some humility. That's going to require some change. But I believe if you're serious, that maybe even in this moment, something inside of you is saying, I need that. I want that in my life. I don't want to spend the next 10 years continuing to function as a spiritual orphan when God has placed me right in the middle of a spiritual family. That's powerful. Over the next five weeks, we're going to unpack five responsibilities because we belong. Five statements that we've built out of these one another statements that are true of us as believers because we belong to God's family. And I want to challenge you to be here. I've never seen Pastor Vance as pumped up to preach a sermon as he is about the sermon next weekend. I wish you could have been in the teaching team meeting this week. He's pumped to share this first responsibility. I also want to challenge you every day on our website and through social media and through email, we're going to send out a devotional. And the devotional is based out of one of the one another statements in the New Testament. We've just written some application statements around it so that as a church, we are journeying together, understanding these principles of what it means to belong. But I want to challenge you to ask God to give you the grace that you would begin functioning, that you would embrace the responsibility of what it means to be a part of God's family. Because when you understand that, listen, it changes the way you engage in relationships. It changes the way you worship. It changes the way you give financially. It changes the way you pray. It changes everything when you understand that as the people of God, We belong.